Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Boat Hunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Tacticam. Tacticam is by far the easiest way to begin filming your hunts. Whether it's the budget-friendly Solo or the 4K 5.0, Tacticam has something for everyone. Check them out at Tacticam.com. This year we've also partnered with Spartan Forge, and my God, I can't imagine what it's like for Bill right now. Um, Everything was submitted September 15th, and it's still not on the App Store. I've talked with them a little bit via text, uh, super busy, Um, but I have been able to get um, early access to the app. So, um, for you guys that are wondering, um, so Spartan Forge is, uh, artificial intelligence for the deer woods using collared deer studies, historical data, uh, military intelligence, uh, coupled with, um, your deer and mapping and everything. Um, so I've got this open in front of me. So, Um, Just to give you a little bit of uh, information about what is available on the app, uh, because what's available online um, is uh, somewhat, uh, it lacks the bells and whistles. So um, uh, Garrett Brawl has a great video on uh, breaking down kind of all the things that Spartan Forge does. And the pro staff for this, uh, Andy May, Taylor Chamberlain, Parker McDonald, uh, Greg Litzinger, the list goes on. Um, tons of great hunters putting all of their uh, input in here on what they want. Um, it, but it's got, um, you know, your deer forecast, uh, sunrise, sunset, uh, pressure, moon phase. It's got forecast as far as um, if the deer are going to be in their core area, transition area, uh, if it's going to be variable. Um, it's showing you, uh, like I say, moon phase. It has all of the information for the forecast for your area, including precipitation, wind. Um, and then it's got historical data uh, as far as wind, 
temperatures, precipitation, um, and in the Intel section, uh, so wherever you're at, it tells you how much public land there are, um, the largest tracks that are near you. Um, it has uh, the number of hunters, uh, the average deer harvest, deer populations, private deer harvested, um, public land, uh, antlerless. Uh, it's, it breaks all this down uh, along with the records, uh, Boone and Crockett. And then it also has information on what to look for, for as far as browse. So it's got woody browse, um, herbaceous browse, hard and soft mass, and it's got lists along with pictures um, of all of the things that uh, are you can look for in your area that the deer are. And that's just a list of some of the things. Um, it also has many different maps. Um, all sorts of that stuff. So for you guys that are anxiously waiting, um, everybody is looking. I just updated uh, the App Store. Not out yet. Um, there looks like they're waiting on one last little change. Um, you can check that out at SpartanForge.ai or in the App Store, Google Play. Keep refreshing just like everybody else is uh, for Spartan Forge. Um, super cool. Um, very excited to test it out here. Uh, throughout this season as we're started. Uh, and again, you can check them out at SpartanForge.ai. Um, real quick, we've got two new Patreons this month, or this over this past week, uh, Nathan Bartow out of Illinois, and then Rick Larson from Wisconsin. And so uh, Patreon is a crowdfunding for creators. Basically, it helps us with the overhead costs of this show, um, everything that we do, uh, gear testing. Um, I just bought, um, the XOP saddle stuff that, uh, came out the platform, uh, as well as their, uh, harness saddle, um, which, uh, needs a little bit of improvement, but I really like the idea behind it. Um, and the price point is there, but, um, but it needs a little bit of tweaking. But anyways, it helps us to get our hands on as much stuff as we can so we have uh, informed um, opinions on on these things as we're uh, answering your questions uh, on all this stuff. Uh, you know, all the podcast recording equipment. Uh, if you Again, if you saw our Instagram where I shot the nail through my thumb, um, building my studio in my basement to up our video game. Um, and that is... Uh, really where we're headed with this. Um, I want these to be interactive uh, podcasts. I want to interact more with uh, you, the listener. Um, and so, uh, you know, whatever above and beyond that uh, goes towards growing the show, making it better, making it the best that we can, putting out the best content. Um, and then we do giveaways as well. So, um, you know, we're partnered with Tacticam. They're giving away one of their LR spotters, uh, which is a standalone recording device that hooks right on to any of your uh, spotting scopes. You zoom in with your spotting scope, and then you can digitally zoom in and enhance record right on that. Um, really super cool. And they're giving away one of those. Um, Spartan Forge is giving away one year subscription to their service. Uh, we're also partnered with Basemap. Um, so Basemap, uh, if you're not using uh, any GPS mapping software, you are um, truly missing out or you're only staying on your one little piece of uh, property um, or whatever. Spar uh, Basemap is the best value in mapping. Um, 
$30 for the entire year. And you can use uh, our code Chronicles, save 20%. So it makes it $2 per month um, for the entire country. Um, they give you a fire data. We're getting ready to go. I'm getting ready to head out to Colorado. Uh, I've been watching the fires out there. Um, you know, been doing all of my mapping. There's just tons of cool features. They have a free version that you can try out there. And, uh, definitely, um, you know, base map is, uh, a great option for GPS mapping. Um, definitely, definitely check them out. And, uh, so they're giving away one of their pro plans as well as a swag pack with a, a shirt and a hat. Um, Zinger Fletchings, our friends over there, they're giving away one of their test packs. So, uh, their 3d printed compression fit, um, Fletchings, uh, for guys that don't have time uh, to fletch arrows, uh, they just slide right on. Shoot really, really well. Uh, I've been shooting broadheads with those um, lately, not having any issues. Actually, having more issues with my veins um, than I am with uh, with the zingers. And you know, of course, John says we got to adjust this and do that. But the zingers are flying just fine for me. I don't need to be shooting two different style of arrow. So, uh, we're going to stick to the zingers and then for us. Um, so we are going to give this away probably, uh, right at the next podcast launch. Um, so probably next week, Wednesday, we'll see, uh, we'll be entering into the fourth quarter. Um, so this third quarter, we are giving away another saddle package and true to form all the way across the board. Um, we're starting out with the Latitude Method two-piece saddle. Their new design with the magnets is incredible. Um, the Trophy Line uh, EDP platform and the Trophy Line ropes. Uh, so Trophy Line's got um, an eight millimeter rope, very similar to the tethered eight millimeter ropes. Um, super packable, super lightweight, um, just awesome gear. And um, then to get up the tree, the Sticks we did the review and the video on, those tethered one sticks that aren't available to anybody uh, right now, we're going to be giving those away. So you're getting tethered one sticks, trophy line EDP, trophy line ropes, and a latitude saddle. Um, so if you're thinking about how expensive it is, you know, go back a couple podcasts, how expensive it is to get into saddle hunting, um, you know, this is your chance to win that. Um, just by supporting a show that you're already listening to. So um, you've got basically one more week to sign up for that. Um, and uh, who knows? I don't, I don't know what we're going to give away for the fourth quarter. Um, shoot me a message if there's something that you think that we should we should look into or something that you're, you, you would like to win or one of the major things that, uh, you know, is holding you back, uh, a, a big purchase where you're, you, you really want to buy it, but it's just too much money. Um, that's kind of where we want to stick with these giveaways uh, because we really appreciate it. And we want it to be uh, worthwhile uh, and make sure that we're giving back uh, just as much as we're getting uh, from you guys, the listener. And real quick, um, over this past weekend, I did go to the Genesis 3D event and I uh, got to meet uh, Dano, um, got to meet the Amsteel guy, the guys from Tuber Saddles, um, got to see the updates on those, uh, really slick saddle. Um, I had one of the prototypes and they've changed a few different things on that. Um, but very slick and awesome guys over there. Um, so definitely check those out made right here in Michigan, um, Michigan guys, uh, just like us. So, um, 
real cool. And, you know, guys that I see all the time, the guys from uh, Overdrive Outdoors, um, Josh, uh, check out his podcast. Um, super great guy. Um, we're going to get him saddle hunting here. Uh, he's the he's the one who has my uh, original case pack. So, um, Josh, uh, I know you're listening. Um, you know, we appreciate the support, and uh, we'll have to get you on here and talk some coyote hunting. Uh, they got great guys over there at, uh, at overdrive outdoors, uh, publicly challenged. I mean, these events, like I say, you, you can't, um, see any of this stuff, you know, all in one spot side by side. And what Austin did over there was, was really great. And, uh, it's going to be an annual event. It sounds like, so keep your eyes open for that. Uh, but any of these events, you know, even if you're not a saddle hunter, um, just a mobile hunter to see, um, you know, with the Amsteel guy being there and getting to see the, the different Amsteel products, you know, what he's doing, all of the different, uh, climbing methods, um, you know, all in one spot is just, you know, invaluable. And then the, the people as well. So, um, it, it, again, really, really good event. And, um, you should definitely, uh, if there's something like that in your area, definitely take the time to, uh, check it out. But, um, this podcast here is, uh, we had a, a listener, uh, Dave from Missouri, uh, send me an email a while back about, uh, the younger generation and uh, kind of getting their information from podcasts and from uh, social media, uh, YouTube, uh, guys that don't really have hunting mentors, um, and about etiquette in the woods. And there was this really long, super long email, and uh, we touched on a few of the points that were in the email um, as far as like when you encounter somebody in the woods, what to do in the parking lot, um, you know, leaving your stuff on, on public land, um, hunting fence lines, uh, all of those sorts of topics we, we covered, um, you know, Kevin's working a ton of hours and we had to kind of keep the, the duration of the podcast a little bit long, uh, shorter rather. Um, but a great topic, a great listen as we go into, you know, Michigan's going to open up here on Friday. So just great information as you head into the woods and uh, we just really appreciate everybody listening. I think you're going to really enjoy this podcast. Um, it's one of those topics that just makes you think about all of the situations that you've been in in the woods. And maybe uh, you, maybe you're on both sides of it. Maybe you're the asshole or maybe you're the good guy, um, you know, the bigger man who walks away or picks up somebody else's trash or, or whatever. But um, a really great episode. And uh, I think you guys are going to really take something away from it. Um, as always... Thanks for listening. Enjoy the episode. All right, everybody. Adam back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. And tonight we have uh, the host of probably, maybe it's a podcast that uh, some of you have come to hear of uh, as one of the more controversial podcasts in the last uh, little bit. And it's it's kind of really um, ruffled some feathers, opened some eyes. Um, being a Michigan boy here, um, I've always been familiar with uh, the Rompola buck. Uh, but we're talking tonight with, uh, obviously, Kevin Vistason from uh, the Deer Hunter podcast. How are you doing tonight, Kevin? You know, I heard uh, I was listening to a podcast with Hal Blood on my way home today, and that guy always makes me chuckle, and he had a good one. He said if I was doing any better, there'd be two of me. <laughs> 
<laughs> so uh, w- that podcast series that you've you've got from the the Rampola buck and that's not the the topic of tonight's podcast uh but I'd be remiss if we didn't we didn't bring it up um <laughs> did you expect it to go the way that it has mm, I didn't really have expectations I went into it honestly with my best um investigative journalist approach everything that i have that i can understand and know about um investigative journalism is to not have expectations like just look for things that can be proven like be proven you know what can be proven and what can't be proven so you know i was younger when that happened and honestly i mean i i saw the pictures and all that but i didn't pay in-depth attention to it and i don't know when it was uh that i got real interested in it obviously it was recent in the last year or two but i think the more and more i looked at that picture and realized that it was the landscape resembled the landscape of the place that i love to hunt and started wondering you know what's possible because i have seen some giant deer i mean there's a lot of people that shoot big deer up in northern Michigan that don't have social media or have any interest in, you know, uh, they're not driven to do it, but to for the opportunity to share it with the world. I've, I've seen some giant deer, you know, um, Boone and Crockett, Pope and Young, you name it. They come out of those woods up there. So I did start to wonder what the possibility was that that guy had, you know, killed a potential world record up there because there's not a lot of record book bucks uh, that come out of Northern Michigan. And so I didn't really have expectations to be honest with you. And so for people who aren't familiar with the, the story, can you give us just maybe like a one or two sentence uh, synopsis of of what the deal is? The the cliff notes version of Mm -hmm. it is uh, back in the mid nineties, this gentleman by the name of Mitch Rampola supposedly, you know, pictures surfaced of him with this abnormally large and wide deer with super tall tines that carried mass all through it. Potential world record. They claimed the deer was uh, over 200 inches. And it was, I think even from anybody's perspective, you looked at that picture and whether it was just the sheer size of those antlers or the oddities of them is that it drew attention and it kind of made you wonder. And then there was a lot of controversy around the animal. And then he failed to basically prove legally that that was the world record deer. And then he kind of went recluse. He, he got a lot of pressure. And a lot of people wanted answers and he just kind of, you know, there wasn't any kind of official statement from him. It just, as far as I know, and can, can track down, uh, he, he disappeared and stopped talking to basically everybody. Uh, he used to be a very social person. He was running all the, the deer hunting circuits, going to the shows had some partnerships and then just like that, he was kind of gone. So not the easiest guy to, not the easiest guy to find a bunch of information on. I can assure you that. (laughs) Um, 
But so the controversy lives on. Essentially, to, to this day, there's two camps, people that believe that it's real, people that believe that it's fake. And uh, the, the people that are on each side are very opinionated. And I don't know what if, even if you had a, a video, you know, showing that uh, what had exactly happened that you could convince somebody otherwise. They're so set. People have believed this now for, you know, decades or not believed it for decades. So, yeah, it's still wildly popular. I, I did greatly and grossly underestimate the popularity of the story. I can assure you that I had no clue the amount of people that would uh, would specifically sort that uh, or seek that, you know, seek that information out. So. And so uh, to that point, like what's been the response on, on either side? Mm, definitely brought some facts to the table and some points of view and some like breakdowns, some long format conversation and breakdowns uh, around the specifics and what can you prove and what can't you prove. So there's been a lot of people messaging in just asking up, you know, follow-up questions, a lot of follow-up questions like, Hey, you guys mentioned this. What about this? Or, Hey, I happen to, I got a lot of hot tips. Um, a lot of people messaging in saying, Hey, I know, you know, Rick that lives over on uh, timber road and he used to cut firewood with Mitch and, uh, his dad owns a bow shop and we see them every now and then. And here's his phone number. You know, he said, it's okay to call. Him. So, you know, there's been uh, a few people maybe that have like had a bit of hostility when they messaged in like, you know, you don't know what you're talking about or uh, something along those lines. I've got very, uh, just a couple of those and they've been extremely entertaining. And then a lot of people just messaging in say, saying like, hey, you know, the direction that you guys went with the conversation, I support that. Wondered why people never talked about that before. Makes sense. So very interactive subject, unlike anything else I've ever put out. I mean, times 100, literally moved us from the 60th spot in the outdoor and wilderness to the 13th over the course of the uh, four part series that we've done so far over the summer. So big needle mover as far as like people wanting to know really like seeking out and wanting to know about it. Well, that's huge. And I mean, from, from that, it's almost like, um, and then congratulations on moving up that far. Um, hey, congratulations to Mitch, right? It's his story. <laughs> I'm just I'm just talking about it. So it's uh he was that popular of a guy and that that topic is that popular, you know, it's it's not really um I, I uh, yeah, it's it, it was you know kind of an awkward thing to look at and and see and think about like, oh man, how do I uh you know, how do I keep this trajectory or maintain this uh, type of energy, you know, through the through the show? Because uh, obviously when you're doing you're you know, you're investing a bunch of time to do something like that. Uh, you want it going out to as many people as possible and having as strong of an audience as possible. So it uh, it was super interesting. It's still super interesting. Just I had a guest in 
just a few days ago, um, my friend Scott Zig from yeah, Scott's a great uh, dude. <laughs> yeah, I, I know that you know him. Um, and he was here this week, and me and him drank some beers and some whiskey. And he, we talked about some of the questions because he's been following along the whole time too. And we've been exchanging texts and messages. And I've been basically my response to him is like, wait till the next episode. You know, I haven't been trying to like give a bunch away to uh, people. I've been definitely trying to drive them to the. Uh, you know, conversation. I have gotten a lot of questions that I could answer and uh, I've tried to answer them on the show to the best of our abilities to share that with, with everybody. So, but anyways, what I was getting at is that some of the most popular questions that have been asked into specifics that really tie a lot of the story together, we discussed on this week's uh, podcast that I'm going to edit and try to get out uh, here after I wrap up with you this evening because I have a super early start at work in the morning and I'm not going to have much time to uh, do it in the morning. I would have to probably be getting up at like 2.30, 3.30 in the morning. Uh, so uh, I'm going to try to get that here done uh, tonight and it's going to answer, I think, a lot of questions that people have been asking as of recently. Plus, I haven't put one out in probably like a month or six weeks. And I haven't even talked about it because I've just, I have been so overwhelmed with my life, with work and everything else that uh, it's kind of been a scramble the last couple of weeks for me to get the podcast out. So because of that, uh, I really have failed to kind of give an update and we do that on this week's show. So Awesome. But what I was going to say is it's like, you know, with all this rise of, uh, like, you know, podcasts and not just hunting podcasts, but this is like literally like true crime meets, uh, deer hunting in some sort of a way. Like you, you alluded to like the investigative journalism <laughs> portion of it. One of the listeners kind of hit the nail on the head right when we started doing it right after like the first episode he messaged in, he's like, dude, this is the JFK of deer hunting. And I'm like, yeah, it's probably not too far off with that so right you know cover up suspense polarized all the things so and and kevin your episode i didn't even think about that when we uh scheduled this but your podcast come out uh on fridays correct so yes i've been doing that uh, as consistently as possible for uh yeah I, I don't know at least the last six months maybe the last year i don't know man when i switched to i used to just kind of try to get one out a week. And then for some reason I seem to have been doing it, did it uh, at the front end of the week on Tuesdays. I think oftentimes, cause I would record stuff on the weekend and Mondays are usually long days for me. So Tuesday kind of found its way into my spot, but now for a while uh, we've been a Friday release. I missed a couple here as of recently, just super overwhelmed with everything else that I have uh, going on outside of, you know, hosting the podcast. So, um, but yeah, try to be as consistent as possible and have something that everybody can listen to on Friday morning and uh, kind of walk themselves into the, into the weekend. I try to make it, you know, an attachment to, Hey, this is the weekend coming and deer hunter podcast. will have an episode out. Awesome. Well, so you, you had talked about hunting, up north and seeing these big bucks and um you know kind of like you're that's kind of what you do as well like a 
you're more of a big woods, public land. Um, you, you mix it up, you know, you hunt kind of all over. But um, we had a listener maybe six months ago or so um, send me a big, nice, like long email um, to- talking about a topic that he wanted covered. Um, and he, he says, you know, new younger hunters maybe that don't have um, – mentors or anything they look to a lot of social media podcasts youtube um to kind of drive them in their uh you know kind of how to hunt learn how to hunt and that's all well and good but the one thing that's getting kind of remiss is the the hunting um etiquette and or ethics and he's not talking about like frontal shots or you know are you using the right equipment for the job uh, type thing, but more of um, like while you're in the woods and you encounter other hunters or parking lot etiquette. Um, So I thought it would be good to talk to you, someone who, you know, kind of lives and dies by public land and getting out there and you see all the tree stands and the guys in the parking lots. And um, I'd imagine you see maybe even more, I don't know, of the, the bad side of it, I think, cause you do, um, a lot of, uh, rifle hunting where with us in bow season, I don't know the bow hunter numbers are, are super high. Um, and you bow hunt too, but I, uh, I just think of all the bad experiences I've had, um, rifle hunting on, on public land. So I, I thought it was a good, good topic. Um, yeah, for sure, man. it is, it's an important one. So I, he had a big list and I sent you the email, but I kind of had my own like kind of thoughts on things that I wanted to kind of talk about. Like, so one of the things that gets often talked about and, um, you know, Kevin has what I will call affectionately uh, a band of merry men, uh, that he runs around with. And if you're new to the deer hunter podcast, check out any of the black velvet fest, uh, uh, episodes and you'll see exactly, um, what I'm talking about. You know, like a disclaimer on that. (laughs) But, um, uh, so one of your, your buddies there, Ryan is, I think he's got like, uh, uh, you know, something up his ass about, uh, tree stands left on public land. And I don't think, you know, it doesn't matter how far you go back in the woods, you're going to walk past tree stands or you're going to see them. You're going to find old tree stands. Um, and that's one thing for me that's like, how do you feel? Uh, or I guess, what are your thoughts on trees, like leaving tree stands on public land? Honestly, what I would like to see, it would be my, I can assure you that my opinion is extremely controversial. And, uh, but <clears throat> I, I would love to see the culture be that this younger generation takes it upon themselves. Like we have such an opportunity to be stewards of the land. We've us, our age deer hunters have access to information that no one has ever had. Right. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're dialed in more so than any like entity of the state is as far as like a collective group. Now we have a tool where we can organize through like media, you know, I would like to see the culture change one for people to stop doing that because it's an ineffective way really honestly is to hunt. There's better gear now. Yeah. You're going to spend a little bit more money, 
but you're going to be more effective. And then throughout the course of time, if you invest in like cast aluminum stands and higher quality gear, and then obviously hunting mobile, you don't leave much of your equipment in the woods. It's pretty rare. But, you know, if you factor into the age of a steel and people do sometimes take care of them and they will last a very long time but more often than not people don't they deteriorate quickly people just leave them all over i mean it's it's crazy right like it's frustrating there's like the a big majority probably of the trash that you're going to find in like in northern michigan woods is going to be from hunters which is kind of disappointing and so I would like to see the, the culture shift a little bit. And I think it naturally will as like our dinner, the way we deer hunt. One, I just would feel guilty now doing that. Like, and I, I don't know if that's just me getting older or the people that I run with. Uh, I, I know plenty of older people that don't, you know, make me feel the way that I do. They got their spot. They keep their stuff out there. It is what it is. But one, I'd like to see people stop doing that. Hopefully the next generation doesn't hunt in that capacity and are a little more conscious about just leaving garbage out in the woods. Like I understand you want to build a blind out there. You want to be comfortable. You want to haul a tree stand in there so you can hunt, but uh, you're less enthused after the season and you don't want to go out there and get it. And, and honestly, I'm at the point, like I've seen so much of abuse that I'm just personally sick of it. And I don't have, I would have zero guilt. I would actually applaud anyone. I would shake their hand that goes through the effort that after the season, if people leave stuff up illegally, take it, take it, take it to a recycling yard and get what you can for it. Put it out for your scrap guy, keep it for yourself, give it to, uh, a uh, young hunter, but yeah, I, I don't know why we need, we're, we're going to sit here and bitch and complain that the DNRs not, not doing it. I mean, why don't we just take it upon ourselves? It's there. It's illegal. It's leaving trash in the woods. If you are leaving it past a date. Now, if somebody's maintaining something and you know, they're like loosening the chain or some of it, Like I look at it and I'm like, that's not negatively impacting anything. You know what I mean? But when I go and I see a tree stand that is just like the chain is grown into the tree, they drove a bunch of spikes in the tree to get up there. And then on top of it, there's trash under the tree. You know, there's like a, an old can of buck bomb or uh, bags from putting piles of bait out and you're just leaving trash there and you're, fucking the tree up i don't uh, excuse my language but i just i'm not cool with that so like if anybody that would go through the effort to get that thing out of there um i'd be more on that person's side than i would on the side of the guy that's essentially just abusing um you know abusing it and uh kind of makes us all look kind of bad in my opinion you know collectively as a group we have to be responsible so that's how that's how I feel about it, man. Do you think somewhat of that is like on a part of the industry? And I don't I don't know that you could ever like do this, but we talked about it a little bit like on our last podcast or one of the last podcasts when we were talking about like 
saddle hunting versus stands versus like preset setups. And like, you know, we, we just kind of joke that after the season, like at Menards, you can't, it's hard to walk by a set of like climbing sticks or, uh, one of the like old, you know, what are they like big game, uh, lock-ons, those metal ones for like clearance for $25 or $20. And those are the ones that are getting left in the woods because, it's not worth, I mean, some of the spots that I go, like it wouldn't be worth $25 for me to trek out there and knee deep snow to, to take it down. Um, and it's almost like if you had a, a quality stand out there, you'd want to go get it because it did cost, you know, a couple hundred bucks or something like that. You know, for the opportunity to go and hunt out there all year, I think it's just like respectful to invest the work you get to do all that, you know, just take it down after the season. And now I, w- I want to be clear about what I said. Like I'm talking about like it illegally now is not, you know, it's not legally on the land going by the rules. I don't know what the exact dates are, but by, you know, the springtime or whatever, you have to have them, you have to have them out of there. And then, you know, what they can go back in, at a certain period of time. And I, I should, I should know that window, but I, I do not. So if you just play by those rules, you're bringing your stuff in anyways, you can repaint it, put new straps on it. You can maintain your stuff. And I'm, I'm not like talking about like, Hey, if you know that that is a great spot. And I think a lot of it too, used to have to do with obviously everybody, the whole culture of the state was hunting over bait. So, you know, if you had stands set up with bait piles, you weren't moving around and trying to follow food sources and deer patterns. Like we try to hunt. I feel like now I know people were doing it, but obviously a lot more people were just running bait piles. So I think a lot of that stuff was like, Hey, we're well, going to haul it out here. It's going to be a ton of work, but we know there's deer in the spot and we're going to put the apples right here at 20 yards. And that's where the deer are going to stand, you know? Oh yeah. So, um, but I just don't think it's that much to ask to like, you know, I've come across everything, man. I've come to where people have literally just ran like a quarter acre of timber down with a chainsaw to build like a log blind in a swamp. And it's just like, this is crazy. Like, this is crazy. And, you know, the, the whole like leaving trash, just my God, nothing chaps my ass more than, you know, finding trash in the woods. I just, I can't mentally understand why, how, and why somebody would do it. Like I would just feel so not right. You know, um, it's just a, it's a weird thing and I can't get past it. I have a hard time understanding people that, you know, are willing to do that. So for that reason, I don't have much sympathy for them at all. And so those, and you know, some of it is, like you said, kind of like to try to hold your spot or like be like, okay, somebody's hunting here, etc. Um, and I totally feel the same way about trash. And I think it's kind of like, I don't know, I think with our hunting style and like the culture of mobile hunting, like you don't want anybody or especially anybody who cares about that. You don't want the deer to know that you were there. <laughs> you know, you want to leave as little trace, as, as little you know, disruption there as possible. Um, at least that's the way that I feel. Um, but like when you're going in there and, uh, for these new guys and I've heard, 
and it seems to pop up on Facebook a lot. Like you go into somewhere and there's a stand there, you know, and people talk about like hunting other people's stands. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, cause we're, I mean, that's some, that's a question that comes up often. Well, I think the rules are pretty clear, right? If you leave a tree stand out in the woods and you're not hunting in it, somebody else can legally, right? Right. But legally versus like etiquette, ethically, et cetera. Yeah. I, I couldn't see ever doing it. And if I walked up, if I had like, uh, let's just say that under this scenario, like a lot of times when I go up and gun hunt the day or two before opener, I'll hunt to, I'll hang two or three stands, you know, and those stands will be there for the course of a week. So if I came and so a guy was just sitting in it, I'd be like, seriously, like, what are you doing? Uh, you know, I don't even know how I would take it. Um, obviously I would assume he would get down right away but if if some guy wouldn't obviously there'd be a confrontation so i would never envision uh seeing myself do that and uh, i think i you know i'll hunt on top of somebody's spot like if i know that they're not hunting it efficiently or i know that they're not hunting it or i know that they have private land that butts up to the state land so i know that ladder stand is just there to deter me from hunting here i know those people don't actually hunt here um just given that i know them and i know the circumstances so i mean i'll I'll hunt uh you know five yards off of maybe where somebody has a ladder stand hung and I'm there on a different day for a different reason. Like I don't assume that I would ever encounter them when I'm out there because I have enough information or I feel like I have enough information that uh, I'm not going to run into anyone. So there is that. And then, you know, I've had people kind of do the same thing. I would never walk up on somebody and see them hunting and set up on them. Oh, I would never do that, but I've had people do that to me and, uh, I think it's awkward. I wouldn't do it personally, but I've had it done to me, you know? Yeah. Now I guess, how do you feel about that in a situation? Um, and I I feel like uh, if you hunt enough, you're going to run into this and you're, you're truly mobile is, it's happened to me out of state for sure. You know, you go into somewhere, you scout around, you go in in the dark and you get up your tree or whatever. And then somebody comes in, you know, and gets up a tree because they had a stand over there that you didn't see a hundred yards away or whatever, or they left their stand in there the night before or, you know, whenever. Um, and then they, they come by, um, it's one of those things like, how do you feel in that situation? Or when you've been there and somebody set up with you and you say that it's awkward, is it like, um, uh, do you feel like it's like an ego thing? Like to just stay, stay there or are you like, you know, fuck this, I'm getting down and I'm going somewhere else, you know, as, especially if it's like their preset stand, you know? Yeah. There's a ton of variables. Obviously it depends on how much time you have. It, like, how much time do you have? Do you have time to get down and real relocate and think that uh, you're going to be in a better situation or 
do you just need to sit tight and hope that that you know that didn't negatively or i mean you know obviously if somebody came in and walked like right into the bedding area that i'm hunting i'd be like all right this is probably pretty pointless you know but if somebody just came through um that's maybe a little bit of a different story i i I honestly i haven't had very many situations where i've run into people ever it's happened a few times i kind of feel like every time that it happened i knew that there was the potential for it to happen like i knew somebody else was hunting back in here or i knew you know somebody was um had a stand back in there you know that was active as simple as that like oh like there's somebody else back here but uh you know a lot of people drive a long ways up there to hunt so they might have a stand and only hunt a couple times all year so there's also like i said a lot of times where i'm hunting right by a stand where i just fully don't expect or assume that i'm going to see anybody but the only couple times that i've had it happen it uh I don't get too worked up about it. Like the whole, like you said about an ego thing, I'm not really, I mean, I, the last situation that I had this happen was uh, maybe two years ago now. I think it was two years ago. And I went up late October by myself on a bow hunt. And I went up Friday, I think after work and I hunted Saturday morning and I did not see a deer. And I was like, sitting a rut spot but it clearly was like no pre-rut activity yet so maybe this was october 20th time frame window something like that didn't see any deer in the morning knew i only had that evening and the next morning um and i got down i looked around i was like dude there's no deer tracks in here there's no fresh deer sign there's no shit like there's not deer in here right now they're somewhere else so I uh, got down, got in the truck. I knew where there was some oak flats about uh, 15 minutes north of where I was. I drove to them, drove off the road, and I walked in. I started seeing deer tracks immediately. There was acorns everywhere. I saw two deer, uh, a couple elk ripped bugles off while I was scouting, and uh, I just instantly got super excited. So I went right back to the truck, got my stand, came back in, hung, hunted that night. And it was um, just one of the nicest evening sits that I ever had sitting out on this big oak flat and uh, listening to elk bugle all night. And I saw a handful of does work this hillside, but they were probably 75 yards out from where I sat. Now, mind you, I went in there completely blind. I'd never been in there before. And it's a big oak flat, I mean, acres of oaks. And so it was like, man, I just got to shoot from the hip and go with the topography and think that if a deer comes through here, they're going to naturally move through this little, um, this little bench. And it turned out the next bench over was wildly popular and it was only like 75 yards from where I sat. And so my thought process was, well, um, in the morning, I'm going to get in there and m- just move right over there. And hopefully it'll work out. I didn't have any deer come by me that night. But that next morning, I got in there super early because I knew deer were going to be in there 
feed nine acorns. And I assumed that they were just going to hang out in there throughout the day. So I got in like an hour and a half early, moved my stuff. Uh, I'm sitting there. It's, you know, just starting to go from where it's black in the woods to where you can start to make out some images, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I look and from a long distance away, I, I, I walk a um, a fairly large drainage for Northern Michigan up into this spot. And, uh, I looked down the drainage and there's uh, a flashlight or a headlamp coming right up the drainage. And I'm like, I mean, I've been sitting now for an hour dead quiet and here comes a headlamp like right up straight towards where I am. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me, you know? And my last morning I knew I was in the right spot. I'm like, this guy is going to come walk. Uh, I'm, I'm watching him hoping that he's going to do something, but he's getting closer and closer. So I pull out my headlamp and I just kind of flash him some, you know, little strobes like, Hey, you know, alert, alert. Someone's right here. And, you know, thinking how I would have reacted, I probably wouldn't have walked right straight towards them, but that's what this person continued to do. So I'm like, Maybe they're looking down at the ground and they don't see me, you know, so I'm like really hitting it now. And uh, they're like coming, you know, and they finally get like within like 30 yards of me, you know, and I'm like, hey. And they're like, yeah, we see you like all arrogant. And I'm like, huh, all right. I'm like, you didn't fucking think to like maybe not walk right on top of me, you know, and they didn't say anything. They just kept walking through so i was like i'm pissed you know and uh i was contemplating like what should i do you know but by this time it's light enough where i can see them and they walk past where i am and then i like calm down a little bit and i realized like it's a big i'm on a big chunk of timber all these guys did is walk through they really didn't walk through where i anticipated the deer walking through so i'm not like super freaked out about where the direction of their ground scent is in correlation to where I think I'm going to shoot a deer at. So I didn't think it ruined my hunt. So within a pretty short period of time, I was just like, ah, whatever. Those guys are assholes. Um, But I I learned a valuable lesson, right? At the same point in time, I'm clearly hunting Northern Michigan public land. And I'm not the only person that knows that deer love acorns in the fall. Right. And this place was accessible. It was right off the road. It was clear as day uh, that uh, there was a bunch of deer in there. And these guys were local and they knew that. And honestly, they probably been hunting that spot. You know, in hindsight, thinking about it, they probably have been hunting that spot for a long time. It was my first time in there. So they're probably thinking in their head, like, yeah, pound sand, dude. You know, we've been hunting here for like 22 years. We know the deer are in here. Get out of here. Get lost. So, when I think about it like that, you know, if you just take the ego factor out of it, like everybody's, I, I don't know, you know, there's two different conflicting sides there. And uh, even though I personally wouldn't have continued to walk right through there, I just don't know. Um, but I learned that I'm like, well, this isn't that great of a spot, you know, because uh, especially on a weekend when people are hunting it's I'm, I'm going to run into people like I learned that real quick. So I probably won't sit, invest my time in that given 
the fact that I can find a spot like that, that's less accessible, where I think there's a better opportunity to not run into people. If those guys want that spot that bad, you can have it. You're probably not going to shoot any big deer in there during daylight. Um, but if you want to go in there and shoot some does and some smaller bucks, that's probably a great spot to do it. And, uh, so anyways, you know, I don't even know exactly, um, if that answered the question that you, uh, that you asked me, but that is just the last, uh, experience. And the, I'll say that's the most negative one. I've had one other, <laughs> I've had one other pretty negative, uh, one. And, uh, I didn't really feel like I was in the wrong on that one, uh, necessarily either, but I was maybe a little more, uh, asking to get put in the situation that I did. I knew it was a risky spot that I was kind of sitting in. And there was a chance that I, somebody would know I was there and potentially be worked up about it. So, no, I think that that's a good like perspective on the whole thing. Now it kind of leads into another thing. Um, cause maybe the spots that you are hunting or these uh, areas aren't necessarily spots that have like parking lots, but it sounds like that spot in particular, um, those guys, do you think they probably saw your truck? Um, they, I'm sure they saw my truck. But where they saw my truck, they wouldn't have thought that they were going to see me because I always park my truck uh, at least a quarter mile up or down the road from where I'm going in and out. I don't typically want to um, tip anybody off to like, hey, why would a truck be in that spot? You know, like, why is he parking there? Like, even when I check cameras or anything, if a truck's coming down the road, dude, I'm like hopping in the ditch and pulling grass over me. Like, I, uh, I do not like to be seen when uh when i'm out hunting so you know i i've parked my truck and walked two and a half miles before uh just to because i knew that this spot is just money and one of the reasons that it's money is because nobody knows about it uh besides me to this point and it's a consistent producer uh for me so for that reason i'll walk two and a half miles to <laughs> to get it, you know, and a mile of that is just on a, on a gravel road. I could cut a mile off of that walk just by parking where I go into the woods, but, uh, I don't. So, uh, from that perspective, like, is that, um, perhaps like a double-edged sword? Uh, because some people in like this uh, listener, Dave, he was talking about like, you know, if he sees somebody in like a small parking area or a pull off, he doesn't park his truck right next to him. He'll go to another area or something like that. Um, you know, just being courteous, but it seems like in your case, especially if you're two and a half miles down the road, like somebody could think that there's nobody hunting in there and, you know, walk right in on you. And it's like, what the fuck dude? But like, nobody yeah, was parked here, there. <laughs> here's the re here's the reality of that the best hunters in the areas they see that truck there they know they're just if if you're hunting anywhere that like there's a local population which everywhere in michigan there is and there's some guys there that hunt and they it's life for them and they're woodsmen and they're not they're, they'll see your truck there and yeah, they're not going to come in and walk in on you. But as soon as you're gone, you go home on Sunday, 
that guy drives by there on his way home from work on Monday, he's walking in there to see what you're doing, see where you're hunting, uh, you know, see what you got going on. I've been with so many guys that like operate in that capacity, you know, like the guys that I know that spend the most time in the woods, they want to know what's going on in the woods. And if they see a truck, you know, there that they don't normally see, um, and it's, uh, it's obvious that it's hunting, right. It's got a real tree sticker on it and it's there from like uh two o'clock in the afternoon till an hour after dark. Right. It's real obvious. The guy's hunting in there, man, those, those, <clears throat> those guys, and those guys are everywhere. They're going to go in and see, you know, what, what potentially is, if they have any interest in hunting in that area. And I, I, I feel like I'm competing with those guys when I go to that area I'm super jealous that they live there because the time that they have that I don't puts them so far ahead of me so I have to do everything possible to like any edge that I can possibly have and you know if you're trying to hunt a bigger older age class deer which I'm I'm always striving for during the season and you're hunting in that manner like those are the guys I'm, I'm competing with. So there's just no circumstance where I think it's good to park your truck there to say like, Hey, this is where I am and where I'm hunting. And maybe you might want to take a look at it. You know, it'd be like sharing my Onyx pins on Facebook. <laughs> uh, that's another thing I had on my list was uh, like blowing up spots. And I want to say like, um, with all of the guys putting their hunts on YouTube and putting like, you know, f- discerning features or, you know, get one of the things that always kind of makes me chuckle is when guys put a picture of them in a nice buck in front of like the, the sign for the public land area it would be like me shooting a big deer in front and then taking my picture in front of like the Madness D National Forest or if you, you know, something, something like that where, I mean, the Madness D National Forest is super huge around here. So it's not, right. you know, you wouldn't necessarily narrow it down and maybe those places are like that. But, um, you know, I just, I, I think, I don't know about like the etiquette, the ethics where you say, okay, well, I saw the hunting public was there and they were on all these big deer. So now we got to rush right out and take our uh, vacation right. to go there. Right. And you're talking about a real thing because those guys came here a couple of years ago. Everybody or a ton of people knew right where they were. And then uh, they shared that information. I didn't know where those guys were exactly, but a bunch of people told me. So, and then I know other people that are like, like went, you know, went there just even for the nostalgia to go hunt where like Dan and Paul, the guys were mm-hmm. hunting, you know, so, uh, yeah, people do it. Well, it's kind of one of those things. And I was thinking about it when we were talking about people walking in on you in, in that hunt specifically where Joe killed that buck. I mean, he had that father and son, like walk right in front of him right that day. And I, th- I think they got down and moved and, uh, he ended up killing that same evening, but those people that were in there, you know, obviously you move, but they didn't impact his hunt. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. So, it's, right. so it isn't the end of the world. No, it's, it's not, it's not in any capacity. And, and I don't think people should, you know, I, I, it, it can be really frustrating if you put a bunch of work, 
in to get to a spot and you're like emotionally invested in it and somebody comes busting through there, you know, it's just, it, it sucks. But at the same point in time, it was like, man, was it the right spot? Is it like on you? Did you pick the wrong spot? You know, like how they get there? Did you kind of, you kind of foresaw that they might be there? I, and it's, it can be tough. Like I, I'm, I'm really, I'm thinking about like Northern Michigan, whereas like, you know, I'm always trying to get this place. And, and I realized that uh, down here, if I, if I frame it differently down here for me, it's, clear that there's not nearly as much, uh, you know, distance between where people have the opportunity to hunt because there's more people and less, less acreage. So, but man, I just, I would never want to, I w- I'm always so focused on being away from, from people. Like that's why I go up far North is because uh, there's just such a smaller opportunity that that's going to happen. And that's like one of the, biggest objectives of mine of the weekend is to like not run into people you know oh yeah and i I feel like you know last year like coming up on our gun season um we hunted the week prior to that on a super popular spot around here and uh, i was in bow range i just I made a mistake on my setup and I should have killed this deer, uh, but went back in there the next day and we had the right wind. Everything was good. It's a mile back in there and there's, I mean, literally you can't uh, like turn 360 without, there's a tree stand everywhere. So to try to not hunt, you know, where there's another tree stand is impossible. Um, But we had walked in there well before daylight uh, but it happened to be on a Saturday, nobody in the parking lot. And there was a guy already in the tree out there that had to have walked either twice as far or got dropped in by a helicopter or something. Like when you talk about like, did I pick the wrong spot or how did I get in there? You know, like how did he get there? That was one of those true, holy shit moments. Um, yeah, right. But all that to say, now with this um, this thought process, are there days that you avoid hunting um, for thinking of running into people? No, I'm not allotted that. Uh, I'm not afforded that kind of time. I have to hunt when I can hunt. And it's usually on weekends or pre-scheduled days off that I'm just got my fingers crossed that the weather's going to work out. And if it doesn't, then I've got plan B, C and D. So, uh, no, I, I don't have, it's not like I like, uh, don't hunt, you know, on uh, Saturday evening because I know there's going to be a bunch of people in the woods. I actually kind of like that. Uh, maybe it's just growing up hunting, you know, but like being on the wood in the woods, like Friday, um, after high school, knowing that there's like a football game or on a Saturday, just knowing that there's a bunch of other guys out in the woods and that's, you know, getting texts from guys that are out in the woods. Like I kind of get a little bit of a good vibe about knowing that there's a bunch of other people out there doing what I'm doing. So no, I really don't. Uh, I, and the biggest thing is it's like, I'm so, I'm so uh, dictated 
by what days that I can go where I don't have to uh, be at work or, you know, have a family obligation or, or something in some other capacity where I can't get out there, you know? No, for us, like, I mean, my experience, and again, it's probably the areas that I hunt, but, you know, um, when opening day falls on a weekend or a Friday, and then the weekend prior to gun season is like, everybody's got, you know, and especially when you could bait and even now that you can't bait, you know, guys still do it, obviously, um, you know, they've got their stands with wheels on them. They've got, uh, you know, they're just tromping around in the woods trying to do everything that okay. they can, you know. So those are, that's kind of like my thought process. Like, I, I feel like if I go in there, even though it's a great time, like for deer movement, deer activity, like I don't want anything to do with that. I would rather set that side, uh, those days aside to go to, you know, the, the pumpkin patch or, uh, you know, do the cider tasting or do something with my family then to go out there and just be battling everybody. The I'll tell you, there's an alternate view on that, that, um, you're reacting to what people are doing. Well, the deer that live out there are doing the same thing mm-hmm. and uh, you can capitalize on that. In my opinion, like, where are those people putting pressure? Uh, what are the deer likely to do when they run into those people? Are they going to, I have always sat in the middle of the day, especially like an hour to an hour and a half. When I know like a large majority of people are coming out from the morning hunt, they're coming in to go to breakfast, right. Or have coffee, or they're, they got chores to do for the, the day. They're just, they're not sitting all day, right? They're hunting in the morning and they are going to move deer around. And for that reason, I've always sat, you know, in for at least an hour to an hour and a half after I feel like the bulk of the traffic has come out of the woods and I'm on multiple occasions have shot bucks that were on their feet and, you know, why were they on their feet? Uh, is it because they just chose then finally to get up and do that? Did do did they hear people like uh, leave the woods and it got them up from their bed and made them want to rebed? For whatever reason, the deer were up, and I've just seen that pattern repeat itself. And so, uh, you know, if, if guys are out there like running tractors firing off ARs. I won't go because that shit's just annoying. Um, I don't even enjoy that. I have to deal with a lot of that. Southern Michigan guys would be out there just, you know, full paycheck on nine millimeter pop, 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 pop. And uh, to listen to that while I deer hunt is just like, eh, not going to do this to myself. Uh, I'll spend the time with the family. So I guess in some aspects, yes, I, I would agree with you in that in doing that. But I also would say like sometimes if uh, there's, you know, pressure in the woods that isn't normally there, the deer are going to react to it in some manner. And there might be a potential opportunity to capitalize on that. Okay. When you're talking about the tractors, one of the things that I, um, I have written down here is just something that I was curious your take on is... Um, like 
fence line or property boundary uh, etiquette. So, you know, everybody has a, a base map, an onyx. They have something that tells them where everything is. And sure. especially if you're in some of the smaller pieces of, of public, you know, or there's some ag around or there's some something like that. Um, um, you know, are you going to set up on the right on the edge or even with your neighbor if you have private? Like, let's say that you have you know, a little 10 acre piece or five acres or whatever, um, you know, are you, how do you feel about people setting up like right on the edge of private, uh, right on the edge, you know, neighbor to neighbor, back to back ladder stands, as you'll see here in Michigan, a lot, um, on the fence lines and stuff. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I I personally would never want to like, sit anywhere where I feel like somebody has the opportunity uh, to impact my hunt negatively because they're in such close proximity to me. So I think that distance for me is probably a hundred yards in most scenarios. You know, if somebody's a hundred yards away from me, provided that their wind's not like screwing up what I'm doing, uh, I would never sit that distance to somebody personally. So if, if somebody was sitting on their fence line, you know, on their property and I'm hunting public land, you know, I respectfully be a hundred yards away from that. But I'd say at that point it's fair game. And if they're not hunting on their fence line and, you know, for some reason you're back in there on this piece of public land, because you assume that uh, there's bedding down here in the swamp, and those deer are going to move up to this private to these food plots or to these ag fields, you're deer hunting and you're on public land. So I think 50 yards is respectful of a, you know, of a private land uh, piece. I don't think I would feel comfortable really sitting closer than like 50 yards away from it. You know, I I wouldn't want to sit on someone's fence line Um, and I wouldn't want to be tempted like to even like, be watching deer within killing range of, you know, and I guess I, you know, I say that 50 yards, obviously if I'm gun hunting, um, you know, I have the ability to maybe do that, but a lot of times I'm hunting such thick cover that that's not the case, you know, 50 yards in the timber, you know, from a tree stand is a, uh, that's a, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a shot. So that's, that's my take on it. Um, that's how I feel about it. I don't know how other, other people do feel about it, but like I said, at the end of the day, for me personally, I wouldn't want to be in, within range of anyone that I think could negatively impact my hunt. Well, it seems like that seems to be the most polarizing thing. I mean, I've got one of the guys that, uh, I'm friends with his dad hunts, you know, public land around here and he's turned in a lady for hunter harassment. That's, uh, you know, driving her tractor four wheeler yelling at him and all this stuff. And, you know, he's probably 50 to a hundred yards off, but it's kind of like open. So it's line of sight. And sure. unfortunately, I mean, fortunately, unfortunately, it's a blessing and a curse, you know, to a degree, like these are public lands, public use land. So she can walk over there and, 
say whatever she wants to him in the blind, but he can't go over on her prop, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think that's disrespectful from her part. I mean, he's, she doesn't want him there. I mean, sorry. That's how it works. Like, you don't like it move. I don't know what to tell you. Um, I've been in that situation. And when I was telling you about the story earlier, the other negative thing that happened to me was, you know, I was probably hunting 75 yards off of a fence line on public. And, uh, I was gun hunting. So I had orange on, you know, and a, a guy drove tractor. He had a two track down the fence line. And he drove tractor down that fence line for whatever, whatever he was doing. And he saw me and, uh, he came over there and he kind of threw a fit. But then I, I basically told him, I was like, Hey, you know, I just came back in here to see how it was. Um, you know, I don't plan on hunting here for long, but I'm going to hunt here tonight. I'm not walking out. And, you know, he, once we interacted, he kind of chilled out, but like he, he came at me basically like, Oh, you're going to sit my fence line. You know, I'm like, well, I'm not sitting your fence line. I'm sitting this piece of public land for this reason. And I didn't say this to him, obviously, but I'm like, you know, the bedding is down here and they're not making it to your food plot during daylight. Like I'm, I spent a lot of time and resources to come here to kill deer. Piss off, dude. Like I'm on a mission and I'm in my legal means. I'm not going to have much patience for you. And uh, so, you know, I wasn't rude to him, but I was firm. I'm like, listen, I know what I'm, I know my rights. I know uh, that I'm within my legal means. I'm going to hunt here tonight. I'm not planning on making this a thing. So, and, uh, you know, I told him that I knew a group of guys that lived down the road and he's like, all right, those guys are cool. You know? So he's like, you know, good luck or whatever. And he just went on his way. Well, um, that next day I hunted there. I hunted there in the morning. This happened on a, on an evening. The next morning I went in there and at 10:30 in the morning, it might have been earlier than that. Maybe it was. Yeah, actually, I think it was. It was quite a bit earlier than that. I think it was about eight eight o'clock, eight thirty, maybe a good half an hour after shooting light. I killed a buck in there that morning, and got down, got that deer out, came back in in the evening, hunted there, saw a bunch more deer, saw a couple real nice bull elk. It was a, it was a great spot. You know, so I punched my tag. My my brother had sat that day and he didn't see a single deer. And uh, I was hunting with a cameraman. He had to leave that night. So I told my brother, I was like, let's go back in. Here. It's it's a ways. So it's it's nice. Um, I can assure you the guy that, you know, he the, the private landowner, like he doesn't have typically hasn't ran into this like people being back in there because it's 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 difficult to get back in there and I, my brother came with me i said i'll film for you so he hunted in the morning and about like uh, maybe like 9 30 10 o'clock i hear that tractor coming you know <laughs> and i'm like well let's just hope that he's just like cruising by and maybe he doesn't I told my brother too, I was like, 
you know, dude, pull your, pull your hood over your orange hat, you know, like pull your camo up. So we're not sticking out like a sore thumb up here and draw any attention to us, you know, because I don't want to have a negative interaction if we can avoid it. We're not doing anything illegal. We're not trying to hide from any, but well, we're trying to hide from him, <laughs> um, but not because we were doing illegal activity or anything, but so we pulled our hoods up. Uh, so that our orange hats weren't just like blaring out. And uh, of course he had come out there to look specifically to see if I was there or if my stuff was gone or whatnot, you know? So he saw us right away and he came out of beeline. He, he had an attitude, you know? And uh, by the time I got down to the tree, he had me on fire. And uh, I basically told him like, there is nothing that you can say to me right now that is going to stop me from coming back here and hunting here. Like you are completely in the wrong. Like I will call uh, law enforcement on you. Like this isn't cool. I'm not sitting on your fence. Like I'm a reasonable distance off your fence. You're obviously not hunting right there. So it's not like I'm sitting out. I, I was, I was angry. Um, Plus my brother was with me and he was kind of giving my brother shit. And I'm like, no, this is not happening. And, uh, so regardless, we were getting ready to get down anyways. And now he had come over here and made this big scene. So I was like, our hunt's done. Right. Like he, he, he burned our hunt out, uh, for that morning and equally, you know, work had me worked up. So, but we got down, we packed our stuff up. We just had a couple like lone wolf hang-ons and uh, one set one set of sticks and two lone wolf hang-ons. And we got out of there and I did not hunt back in there again that year. I went back in there in the middle of the winter the next year and he put a ladder stand up, a big double ladder stand right in the tree that we were hanging in. So I was like, all right, um, I guarantee they're not sitting there they just put that up like as a show of force like hey this is our spot you know um maybe they do hunt there it would make sense it's the best spot um as i was saying about like not giving tipping anybody off to like why is he sitting there you know those guys were not sitting that tree and for that reason they didn't kill that buck that day and i did but now they know about that tree so but if they're not going out to that spot i'm not too worried about it and i I do kind of believe that they are box blind hunters uh, on their food plots up on their private land and that they just put that there to basically detour us from hunting back in there. But I'm going to make sure that I go to the extent in the future to like, I'm not going to go on a bluebird Sunday afternoon and sit back there because I feel like those guys are going to be out and about. I don't want any chance for a confrontation. Do not want that. But at the same point, that is one because of the way that it lays out. Right. There's a swamp, big cedar swamp. Um, and then there's a, a, a bad ass little staging area where the deer come up from the swamp. And then as soon as it gets dark, they go and cross over this guy's fence line, walk up his two track, walk through his timber. And they go to these nice manicured food plots in northern Michigan. It is a bomb spot. And I'm completely within my legal rights to go out there and hunt. So I don't feel any kind of like moral thing, like I'm in the wrong. I understand that it's frustrating for him, 
I don't disagree with that, but I'm also not like, you know, out there setting up a pop-up blind, uh, staking my claim, but I'm going to come in and out of there and I'm going to deer hunt and, uh, but I'm going to pick my days and I'm going to pick my travel times. You know what I mean? So that like, there's just as little chance of possible that I ever have because I don't want a negative interaction with my deer hunting. You know what I mean? Uh, that guy walking around out there making noise, anything like that is obviously going to destroy my hunt, you know? So I just go somewhere else, but there's obviously days where the weather is like, yeah, there's not going to be a guy that's a box blind hunter. That's going to be coming out in these woods, this part of the woods today for any reason. So. And another thing that, on that spot, that situation, um, lays out poorly for, and unfortunately for the, the public land hunter, and especially you having history with the guys, like, you know, if you're bow hunting and you shoot something and it runs on that guy's property, I can't imagine the interaction that you would have. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't bow hunt that spot. Um, that's a gun hunting spot for me. And you're a hundred percent right on that. Yeah. It's... And with the, with, uh, with gun hunting, I mean, provided you put a good, you know, your, your shot is good. Uh, typically I've never had a deer go more than, you know, a hundred yards. So yeah, there is that opportunity. If you shot a deer there and it got on his property, not going to go over well, but typically the way that the deer are traveling, like that would be, it would seem super awkward. Um, so anyways, yeah, uh, in that situation, uh, it, it could happen and it would be bad and you wouldn't want that. So, <laughs> yeah. And, I don't know. I, I guess, you know, I know you're, we got to, we're going to have to wrap this up. You're burning the candle at all the ends. You're from the middle at this point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but like, I guess, what would you say to like, you know, the basis of this podcast for new guys, um, you know, as they encounter somebody in the parking lot, as they're uh, walking out and they encounter somebody in the woods, um, is it you know that bold uh where everybody likes to say you know it's public land man i can hunt wherever i want to like piss mm -hmm. off or i mean i guess from you know your perspective having been in these situations uh, i've been on both sides of it so many times <laughs> so so how do you think like what would be your recommendation for new guys I want to mention too, that I've always dealt with trespassing on our private property that I grew up hunting. Like I've had uh, equipment stolen, equipment destroyed, um, caught guys hanging stands. I've always dealt with poaching. And I think like going on someone's private property is completely inexcusable and if your objective ever was to like negatively impact someone that, you know, is like hunting on private land, that's like a shit move. And I wouldn't want to be, I, I wouldn't want to be in that shoes. When I, and when I'm talking about, you know, I am dead serious when I say like, when I go into this spot, I'm going there because I, I 
I have no um, thought that these guys are going to kill any deer that I'm going to see um, that I'm going to be coming in here to target because there's just no way that these deer during daylight are going out there when they can be here. It just makes too much sense. And if those guys were hunting there, I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't encroach on it, but they're not, you know, I'm like, and it's, it's tough, man, to hunt public land. Uh, so you won't, you got to take every opportunity that you, you possibly can. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. Well, I mean like once, so when it, when these guys get out of the parking lot and get out of the truck in the morning and there's, there's other guys in the parking lot or they're walking out to their stand and somebody flashes them with the light right, or, right, right. uh, they're, they're walking out. Maybe, you know, they got out of work late, but they want to hunt this spot. And then, you know, lo and behold, somebody whistles at them. Like what in your mind is like the, the way that, that you would teach your, your son, uh, to, to interact uh, in that just, situation just just like basically any other interaction you want to be as respectful to that person as possible and engage in uh, a conversation and try to communicate and see what everybody's looking to get out of the situation and figure out what works best for you and maybe you have an objective and you find out what their objective is and maybe your guys objective don't cross paths whatsoever you know what I mean? It's like, oh, I'm going, you know, I maybe going this way or whatever. Or he says, uh, I'm hunting across the street. And you're like, Oh, cool. I'm not, I'm not, you know? Uh, so it's an opportunity to, uh, meet another hunter. Um, maybe it's somebody local and, uh, they, you guys shake hands, hey, you know, Hey, I'm Kevin, I'm Todd, whatever. Yeah. Hey, nice to meet you. Um, Hey, here's my phone number. If you shoot one, uh, we can help you. You know what I mean? Or, and he says, Hey, yeah, cool. My buddy's got a tracking dog. So, you know, if you, uh, if you get into a bad spot too, I know a tracking dog. I mean, you're silly if you're not taking advantage of the opportunity to have a conversation with uh, somebody out there that can be a positive thing. I think if you're looking for a negative conversation and you go into it in that capacity with that ego and that attitude, that's probably what you'll get. Like the situation that I described, you know, that guy was rude. Um, he didn't come over there to ask like my side of the story. He just came over there to demand that I bought into his and I didn't. And he was super disrespectful in doing so. So he kind of caused the event to go in that direction and it didn't have to. Um, so I, I guess that would be uh, my advice is just uh, do your best to communicate and uh, figure out what you guys each want out of the situation and if it sounds like somebody's going to get the shit under the stick um maybe just walk away from it you know like there's don't take it too seriously right things happen for a reason so you know i don't know maybe people are more I, i'm kind of a control freak but at some point in time too i'm also like all right this happened for a reason let's just roll with it like Rolling with uh, a situation, the people that can do that are like, a, they're a different personality that people that can't roll with the situation, you know, it's like this happened. Like Jocko uh, Willink has that thing called good, you know, like mm -hmm. my leg, good, got stabbed in the heart, good, you know, like the craziest shit ever that no one would agree is good. 
and he's looking at it with like through a positive lens, you know? So if you can bring that mentality into it, um, good. I, I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. You, you said it. Yeah, no, man, I, I really appreciate it. And I think, you know, as we're coming up on, you know, Michigan's opener here and, you know, there's going to be a lot of guys headed out into the woods and a lot of states are open right now. Um, it's just always, um, you know, beneficial to have these sort of conversations um, before you're in the situation and you are all, you know, geeked up or, or whatever. So absolutely dude. calmer heads do prevail. And I, I totally understand if someone's disrespectful to you, I don't have much tolerance for that. I have zero tolerance for it. Actually. I can't stand that shit. So uh, you can get put in a bad spot, you know, if someone's disrespectful and, uh, you know, is not on the same page as you, it could, it can be a shit situation. And at that point, you know, I'll just walk away. Right. You know, get your two cents in and get out of there. So, but uh, yeah, no, the best thing is to just uh, keep positive mindset and uh, move forward. It's probably not, uh, it's probably not that big of a deal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's, there's always bigger deer. There's always other spots. There's always going to be someone who, you know, I, there's the fucking the armchair quarterback who's got the answer to everything. Yeah. Just yeah, not even you, worth it. <laughs> if you let negative things like that kind of attach to what you're doing, it won't be fun, you know, because now you've got this in your head, like, ah, you know, last time I went, if you think that this, the, the situation has an opportunity to go bad, like you're just, eh, maybe I'll go to the beer and get shit faced, uh, or, you know, go to the, go to the bar and watch a football game. And I'm not even going to hunt this afternoon because, uh, I'm just going to reward myself with a little bit of a day off. You know what I mean? And, uh, so whatever, whatever you got to do, um, to kind of make it not be, um, not let it piss you off and, and get to you, I, I suppose. Yes, we usually close these out with uh, what's your bow setup, and uh, we'll, we'll get there in just a second. But I'm going to kind of go one further, um, just because we are talking about you know getting out into the woods and and uh, uh, you know moving around. What's your uh, mobile setup you're hunting with this year? I'll probably do a lot of hunting uh, sitting on the ground. To be honest with you, a lot of just uh, up against a tree, uh, a whole lot of that. And uh, then I'll probably also be doing a whole lot of sitting in. I got a uh, Novix Hilo now, and uh, we'll, we'll see as the season gets rolling. I have four of their double step mini sticks, which are really nice. Uh, but you lose some height with them versus four traditional full length sticks. So I'm not exactly certain. They're a little bit lighter. I don't necessarily care about that. Uh, but uh, they are uh, a more comfortable stick to climb than the single. And they pack real nice and they they climb real nice. Like they really bite into the tree good. They're a nice stick. So I'm not sure as the season gets rolling, I'll kind of figure out what I'm going to be using with those. And then uh, I have a trophy line covert saddle that i've been messing around with and then i just got uh, latitude um their method two is a two panel saddle saddle i'm not sure if mm-hmm. you're for oh yeah if you i sat in that at the woods and water show and i was like oh dude 
you guys are onto something here. Like this is uh this is a better design and more comfortable than other things that I've sat in. So I'm going to give that thing a, a little bit of a whirl here. I, I literally just got that last week. So yeah, I, uh, I got a couple different things going on there. Yeah. I, um, I don't necessarily care for the two panel saddles, uh, just because their first version, um, they had some clips and stuff like that. It was more comfortable, but it was a little bit cumbersome, like sure. pulling it out of your tote and then it was twisted up or something like that. And even like John Eberhardt saddles the, the same way for, for most people, you know, if you talk to John, it's the easiest thing in the world, but, um, you know, he's been using it for 40 years. Um, but their new one with those magnets, it is super comfortable and super slick. Um, yeah, that's it, what I thought too. No metal on the whole thing, which is super smart. Obviously like after you, uh, you know, after you, you, you see that it's like, well, that, that makes sense. And, uh, and the way that they did it is super effective. So yeah. And they're built right here in Michigan, which yep. is a big deal for me. I'm a shop local guy. So uh, those guys were cool. Met them last weekend uh, at the woods and water show, like their product and picked up uh, one of those as well. So between that and the, uh, the trophy line covert, which is also a really comfortable saddle. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a lot of things that I'm going to be uh, experimenting here with through the course of this season. You know, I, I've, I'm, I'm thinking that uh, at the end of this deer hunting season, I'll have a better idea of what I liked about certain setups and why I would choose differently moving forward. And I'm sure there's a couple things I'm just going to absolutely fall in love with, you know? Yeah. Wouldn't it be a, uh, a, a bow hunting, hunting, uh, mobile hunting podcast or whatever, if we didn't say, uh, just another tool in the toolbox, right? You got a lot of tools. <laughs> I saw a funny meme yesterday. It was a, a guy, a cop was arresting a guy and putting him in handcuffs. And, uh, what did he say? He said, oh, the cop said, there was a caption. The cop says, you know, you have the right to remain silent. And then the caption from the guy was, I'm a saddle hunter. <laughs> yeah. God, it's hilarious. Oh uh, yeah. So what do you, you're, uh, um, you know, good friends or, yeah, I think that'd be a good thing with the, some of the prime guys like live in your neighborhood or whatever. Um, yeah. so what, what bow is it that you're shooting and your, your arrows and all that setup? So I'm shooting a, uh, prime Nexus 34, 34 inch axle to axle. And it is 65 pounds at a 28 inch draw and it's in their green, um, green riser green limbs and then everything else is just black there's not a single color on the bow uh titanium archery product front and back bar hha single pin tetra uh hamski trinity hunter drop away driving that off the bottom cam and then uh, i got a couple different i got some release and a wrist rocket now I'll probably run the thumb release and, um, till for the earlier part of the season when the weather's decent, I don't have to have heavier gloves on. And then as I get into heavier gloves, I'll probably run that wrist rocket. We'll see. Might bounce back and forth, but I'd probably be hunting with both, uh, both of those releases. And then, uh, as far as my arrow build, I'm shooting a, a day six gear 350 with a 15 or, uh, I'm sorry, a 50 grain concentric two-piece component on the front end of that arrow 
And then I actually just all last week shot broadheads and shot broadheads and shot broadheads. Um, I shot every broadhead I had here in the studio. So I shot uh, standard Montec 100 grain, the Montec M3 100 grain. That's their solid Montec. The G5 Striker, um, which is the V2, which I think is like inch and a quarter, three blade, uh, replaceable blade. I shot their dead meat ballistic point, and then I shot the day six gear Evo X's, which are the 125 grain bigger cut and the 100 grain Evo standard Evo. And I shot the shit. Uh, I mean, I destroyed a new block target last week, basically, <laughs> shooting broadheads. It was kind of sad, but at the same point in time, like I was. Dude, I'm tuning these broadheads and I want to get everything perfect. And uh, I, I kind of I went back and forth a couple different times on what and but I I um I settled in on the uh, Montec M3, the new solid one. It took me a little bit of additional monkeying to tune that broadhead versus the vented Montec. The vented Montec I could pretty much just screw on, and that thing's gonna. You know, I might have to move my rest to the left, like three inches or something. But those things are pretty much going to do what my field points do. Whereas with a uh, solid broadhead, you have much more, um, um, much much more surface area, and it's going to do more with wind than uh, you know uh, an, a vented broadhead, in my experience. So it took me a little bit more. I had to move, bump my rest just a little bit, move my sight a little bit more than what I typically do, and then actually had to slow my bow down a little bit. I took two full turns off of my limbs. I actually don't even know what my bow is at right now. I'm going to guess it's probably, well, it's a 65-pound bow, but it, it came in on the scale at like 66 and a half. So it's probably like 63 maybe something like that right now, 62. I don't know exactly, but that was the the money maker right there, just slowing that thing down just a little bit. Um, and I'm just, I'm in a, you know, a four inch box at 40 yards with my broadhead now. So. Awesome. That sounds like a pretty, pretty solid setup. Dude, you cannot beat the quietness, in my opinion, of a solid broadhead over a vented broadhead. And that's why I went through that extra, because I shot the solid ones. And even though my groups weren't as tight at first, they were so much quieter. Like when I put the regular Montex back on, you know, they're like, and I'm like, oh, I'm so not into that. Like, it just drives me crazy to be making my bow louder. You know what I mean? So, uh, but I don't have that issue with a uh, unvented broadhead. And for, for that reason, I'll go that little bit of extra step. And so I'm, I'm jacked. Like the way the bow is, uh, is shooting with that arrow and that broadhead setup. Like I'm, I'm so confident, uh, that, you know, I, I would have to, it would have to be completely on me to uh, screw up on a deer. My archery equipment is uh, set up and ready to kill. Awesome. Well, that's what we need for uh, this, uh, you know, this podcast will come out on, on Wednesday. So for the weekend uh, following, I mean, it sounds like you're all set up. Uh, Dude, I'm so jacked up. Like 
it's right around the corner, man. I can't believe it. Yeah. This morning, I, it felt like Halloween to me and Halloween here in Michigan is like a little bit rainy, nice and cool. Just, you know, overcast, like it, it, it had the feeling. Yeah. You're, you're very, you're very right about that. It felt, last week felt like summer and this week felt like, like or a couple of days ago felt like summer and, to, and today felt like, like late October, like late October shitty day. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's the, the best days for me to be in the woods. I'm, oh, I'm sure you feel the same way. <laughs> oh my gosh. A light rain like today after, you know, pouring rain, having high winds yesterday, dude, I'm sure today was a, a good deer movement day. And, uh, there's some pretty good looking weather in the extended forecast. I, I won't be going up North for opening weekend. I'll be hunting down here, trying to get out Friday and Saturday after work. Um, want to get a couple of antlers tags filled right away. Uh, potentially get a first crack at a uh, buck that's, you know, hitting some food that he hasn't been disrupted yet. So that's always on the table. And then I think the following weekend I'm taking off and we're going to go do like a little traditional archery camp, tent camp up in the, uh, up in the state forest of Northern Michigan. There's a, a reasonable group of, uh, well, the podcast crews going and a couple of guys from prime are, going and we're going to go do like a little uh, tent camp and see if we can't uh, fill a couple deer tags here uh, the, the weekend after, which is typically about the peak colors up there and some maple leaves are starting to hit the ground. And uh, I don't know, there's probably not too good of a chance that there would be any uh, white oak acorns on the ground yet. But uh, if there's any apple trees that have apples, I'm sure there'll still be some remnants of that maybe going on. So a lot of food sources changing that weekend. I know you could uh, find yourself around a conversation of guys saying that that's the lull and not going to be too excited about that. And there's days that I might agree, uh, depending on what the weather's doing and everything else. But uh, I'm 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 pretty jacked up actually about uh, getting up there, trying to find maybe potentially some white oaks that still have a few acorns that are late and coming down. And, uh, you know, get on those and get on some deer that are hitting some food, especially late in the morning uh, for whatever reason. That time window up there, I've always done real good on real good on seeing deer. So, oh, that whole thing just sounds uh, freaking awesome. So um, where can people follow along to to hear that and help uh, bump you up those next three or four spots to put you into the top 10? Uh, where where oh, can they follow? Uh, I, uh, first of all, man, I really appreciate the conversation tonight. It's always enjoyable to talk to you. And, uh, I honestly should have been sitting here editing my podcast, but I, instead I decided that I'd rather just sit here and talk deer hunting with <laughs> you. So, uh, but thank you for, uh, having me on. And then, uh, people can go to our website, deerhunterpodcast.com And there's links on there to basically find wherever you'd listen to podcasts apple or spotify um for uh, or itunes obviously for apple users and then for android users uh, spotify works as well google podcast is super popular now you know you just type in deer hunter podcast in google and uh it should come up in google podcasts so all those all those places that you uh listen to podcasts and then we've got a couple films on our youtube page and some other random content on there we don't really uh 
publish much on there, but there is a reasonable catalog on there as well. So, Awesome, Kevin. I really appreciate the time. I know you're busy and uh, overworked and underpaid and all the things. So, uh, you know, I'll let you get over to it, but uh, I, I do appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely, man. Thank you. Good luck to everybody this year. For sure. 